Father God, you are a faithful God. You have been faithful always and you will always be faithful into the future. And your name is worthy. And we just pray that, um, yeah, whatever we bring tonight, whether that's um, from a period of darkness or despair or whether it's from a period of joy, whatever kind of weeks we're coming out of, we just pray that you would take our worship tonight and that you would bless it and that we would be able to bless you in this worship time as well, Lord Jesus. Father, we just thank you for your your presence here tonight. And we just pray as we come in to hear hear your message and hear the word that you've given to Aidy, that we would come with open hearts, open ears, um, to what to what you would have to say to us tonight um, and that we would all be able to get something out of this message from AD and we just pray for AD as well as he as he um, we thank you for his his faithfulness in pre- preparing for tonight and um, yeah we just pray that you would bless his words tonight amen There's only one way I'd ever be able to play the doors in church and put it to a video clip like that, so I just did. So just um, give me a sec while I just make sure my iPad does not turn off. There we go. That looks great. Cool. Um, so tonight, um, my little title to my little uh, store of kind of what I'm going to talk about is called Remnant Embers, and I just kind of figured that um, uh, that little clip there was really quite handy. And what I want to look at today is... Um, to get a fire going when it's gone out, you can blow, you kind of blow on it and then the embers start going and then it starts burning again. So if you watched Survivor um, the other day, you would have noticed in the fire challenge, um, they actually had to get their, their sticks up and get it all rolling and then blow on it and then the, the fire came about. And um, that's kind of an analogy that I want to look at tonight, not the Survivor analogy, but the analogy of um, having a fire that's got a few embers there and it might have gone down a little bit and then how do we get that to be a roaring uh, kind of fire again? So for those who don't know me, I'm A.D. Francis, I'm related to James, thanks James for that, that was great. Um, so uh, I've been coming to this church since probably grade four or five, um, when we first, when I first started coming to this church, it was down on the corner of Acklands Hill Road and Main Road, just near where the McGarry's are, so if you go up that way, it's just sitting on the corner there. Um, and just to make it really clear, I'm not a special person in any way at all, um, I struggle every day with stuff that goes on inside my head that I just can't work out why it's there. But every day God refreshes me and brings me to that place of being whole again through his grace. 
Um, and that whole thing of God saying, yeah, you might have stuffed up one day, but let's walk again together tomorrow and see where we get to. It's a regular thing that happens to me in my life. So I'm no super spiritual person at all. If you live with me, you'd know that. I'm a, um, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Um, and that grace is when God says, you know what? You've done this stuff, but I'll go to the cross for you. I will die for you take your sin away from you, and then together, let's move on. So that's kind of where I stand, and that's where I'm coming from. So um, tonight I'm kind of targeting a talk. I don't know where it's going to go. This has kind of popped into my head over the last probably couple of weeks until it's refined down a little bit. Um, and hopefully it's, uh, it'll be a message to you that you'll be able to take something out of this and apply it in your life. Um, if not, you're just going to listen to a bloke like me rambling on for about another 25 minutes, which would be good. Um, and then we'll have a few more songs and you can go home. So hopefully it's the first half that you'll actually um, pick it up on. I'll just set my timer so I don't rave too long. Just so I don't make a mistake. There we go. Cool. Lovely. Ripper. Um, so let me start with a bit of a story. Um, this story is about a bloke called Derek. Now, um, Derek used to work at Westfield Marion. Now, Westfield Marion, this is, where, this is when phones had to be connected to the wall with a cord. So we're talking, you know, 1980s. Um, and Westfield used to have, so if you picture it, Westfield used to just have David Jones, John Martins, which doesn't exist anymore, the food court, then a couple other uh, department stores, and that was it. And then the bit down the bottom where they have Santa and stuff at Christmas time, that's all was there. So we're talking that era of, of, um, of shop. So if you go down there now, go to that kind of bit and have a look around and just realise that everything else has been added. Anyway, um, Derek used to work there um, in, I think it was David Jones, or it could be Myers, one of the two, who knows. Um, he used to work there and um, pre-mobile phone days, and one day he was leaving, uh, he finished work, leaving to go home, um, and walked outside and saw two people, a bloke breaking into a car. And so he thought, oh my goodness, I've got to do something about this. Um, I'm not brave enough to kind of take on the bloke by myself. Um, I'll run inside and find some police because they'll help me. So Derek hightails back inside, um, goes searching around, goes to the food court, uh, finds the police there, probably eating donuts. Um, sitting there, he goes up to the police and say, look, there's a guy outside breaking into a car. You need to go and stop him. And the police go, yep, no worries. And Derek thinks, job's done, I'm out of there. Um, and the police say, well, we actually don't know how to get there. If you lead, we'll follow you. Huh. So Derek goes, no worries. So he bolts uh, from the food court through the shops at the top uh, with the two police chasing him. So you've got to kind of picture it looking from the outside, okay? So he's sprinting along. These cops are going flat out after him. Zig None of those passageways are straight. You've got to zigzag in and out. So they're zigzagging in and out all over the place. Comes around, comes to the escalators, and by that time there's a bit of a hubbub going on. People are hearing what's going on. They're looking around. Um, Derek comes across the top, onto the top of the escalator, starts running down, and then these two police are chasing him. So as he kind of gets halfway down the escalator, there's a guy down the bottom who looks up and sees the story unveiling in front of him and puts two and two together and gets about 95. He thinks that Derek is running away from the police. So, okay. so as he comes bolting, as Derek comes bolting down the escalators and gets on the flat, he starts to accelerate and this guy jumps out from the side, grabs Derek, flattens him into the ground, sticks his knee in the middle of his back and thinks that he's a hero. Everyone else around him is now going, yeah, good on you. The cops catch up, grab this guy that's sitting on the back of Derek, pick him up, throw him on the ground, pick up Derek, put him on his feet, push, out, push him and then chase him out of the shops. Now, that is a true story. Um, so, depending on where you are in your life, you can either be a Derek that knows where you're heading, um, a bit uncertain by why a whole lot of people are behind you. You could be the police that really want to get somewhere but are just following someone blindly, trusting that they're going to go the right way. Or you could be one of the people that is looking on 
and going, I know exactly what's happening here and missing the point completely. So hopefully tonight, as we kind of go through uh, what I'm going to talk about, that you might see yourself in one of those three places. Um, and if you are just new to Christianity and new to coming to church and someone's invited you tonight, you have no idea why you're here, this is a great time for you to look over the fence and see what we're on about here at church and maybe go, oh, I'll ask more questions about that. Um, a bit of a backstory um, of uh, this place here. Uh, in terms of uh, Coromandel Valley. So if you are a young whippersnapper under the age of about probably 25, that's pretty young, um, then you've probably heard stories about what Coro used to be like and what it was like. And while I was in the youth group, um, we had a, a youth group camp up at Longwood Camp, which used to be Longwood Baptist Church of Christ. It's still, still on Longwood Road. So if you go down Longwood Road past um, where... Uh, golly, on Stock Road actually, so it's on the right-hand side now. Um, and we had a youth group camp there, and on the Saturday night, um, normally on a, on a youth group camp you have the Saturday night, which is a big emotional night, and God moves and people get touched. Um, when we had that, that night, the guy that was speaking said, you're not willing, you're not ready to receive, you need to go to bed. And so we all went to bed and went, oh my goodness, what this, what's this guy on about? Next morning we got up, um, and he preached a sermon, and it was just this massive move of God's Spirit amongst all these young people. Uh, it was most, probably one of the most amazing things I've seen. And out of that, um, that legacy, there's stacks of people in this church now that were affected by that or in that. There's a whole chunk of people that came out of that youth group that are now ministers. Uh, there's a whole lot of other people that have had massive influences around the spot um, just from that, that one kind of move that happened there. Um, to the extent that there was a group of kids in year 11 that would get together and pray before exams. And so this is Blackwood High on the front lawns outside the, the main office. And they'd have 60 to 80 kids would greet them there and pray in a group before they did exams. Um, can you imagine that happening now at Blackwood? Um, it's quite a different kind of thing. Um, there was another time when uh, one of the kids' uh, mums um, had uh, got diagnosed with a brain tumour and um, everyone rushed to the church to go and pray for her. And the, the scene at the church was just cars just parked everywhere in the car park. Doors were open, and people just bolted in to get together to pray for this lady. Now, it's, this is kind of this massive move of God, and what we are living in here is that legacy. But a lot of us, including me, look back on those days and go, oh, I wish it was back like then. I wish it we were back there in the good old days. It would be terrific. Um, and sometimes I think that... Uh, we live in the past rather than moving on into the future. Um, part of my little Bible app thing I've got at the moment um, is taking me through a whole lot of stuff that's looking at past revivals and how they actually had these massive moves of God um, and all these people were changed and people that you wouldn't think were actually affected by it were actually um, amazingly touched. And I kind of believe that um, that really looks like what happened in Acts 2. So if in the Bible you've got the, the Gospels that go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, and then somewhere after that, there's Acts. I was going to say it's the next one, but I might be wrong, so I don't want to go there. Um, and then Acts talks about what happened when um, God's Spirit was kind of poured out on all the men, all men. So it's called the Day of Pentecost. So what happened was um, Jesus was crucified, he rose again, he hung with his disciples for a bit, and then um, the Spirit came on them, and then this is what happened. So I want to show you a little video. Um, if you're like me and you find uh, reading the Bible a bit tricky, um, there's a thing called the Bible Project, which has got a lot of the Bible just in videos. So you can just watch it. It's really cool. Anyway, so let's have a look at this. This is um, from Acts 2. One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke. But Luke continued the story in a second volume 
called the book of Acts, and it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a road map for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is going to come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival it's during the early summer, and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world, all these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house, which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire. Fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. But that was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus' body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored people of Israel. And thousands of them start following the way of Jesus. Which brings us to Luke's tale of two temples. So you've got the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem, where Jesus' disciples worship like the rest of the Israelites. But now there's also Jesus' temple, which consists of people. This temple's meeting together in homes all over Jerusalem, and they were approaching life in a radical new way. Right, think about it. Many of these pilgrims... So, I mean, I, the best bit about that video is that just when the, um, when the, kind of the power goes out in those circles, those ripple effects... Um, so when I look at that, I, I now think, well, why not now? Um, what's the difference between the times in Acts um, and now? What's the time, difference between when I was at youth group or the things that happened in the past here and now? So why is there, um, we don't see that kind of stuff anymore, and why is sometimes that spark not there, and, and why has that, that changed? Um, has it become just too hard um, to kind of uh, commit ourselves to Christ and follow him? Or have we just become really comfortable? I was reading another author that talks that talked about that when the church is really persecuted, that's when it goes nuts uh, because you know you actually have to sacrifice something. Whereas in Australia, it's very comfortable. You just can come and sit in church and, and that's about it. The average church guy at the moment is one in six. If you were playing a sport and you only turned up to one in six practices, you'd be kind of probably not on the team. So I wonder why, 
why we are like that and why things have changed. Has, has the times from the Bible changed from what it is now and no longer relevant? Um, or is it that, um, that we are completely away from what God's wanting to do and we have no idea what's going on? Um, I kind of think that things are different, um, but, the, but the truth is the same and the truth of the gospel um, is the same there. And sometimes um, we are very apathetic about approaching things. Um, we don't want to go out of our way to do things. I have a, um, a, a group of blokes and me meet on a Tuesday morning, really early in the morning, and we pray online We just because we, we aren't physically in the same place. So we just kind of jump online and we have a video call and we pray. And I was chatting to another person that goes to church um, and their response was, well, why would you bother? Why would you get up that early just to pray with a whole lot of other people? And I was thinking, well... Yeah, you're right, actually. I'd rather be sleeping. But um, that attitude of, eh, has, seems to have permeated a little bit in what we do. So let's have a look at this little clip here. Look, Mom, I drew a picture of me landing on the moon. Eh. Look, Mom, I made the prototype of the rocket out of macaroni. Eh. Look, Mom, I made a real rocket based on the macaroni prototype. <gasps> eh. So sometimes I think that uh, uh, we've kind of become like that mum every now and then. We say, yeah, it's okay, we'll get around to it. Yeah, if I've got time, I'll squeeze that in. Um, and has that fire that we had once in, inside us need to get a, a breath of fresh air on it or a breath from the Holy Spirit to rekindle that? Um, and sometimes um, I think that uh, it's a mixture of everything and it's a bit hard to kind of work out what's the reason, if we're going to pinpoint that reason of why not now compared to when it was back then, to try to work out what that is. So I'd like to tell you a bit of a story, um, which is actually a real life story, so it's not like a funny story. Um, and um, it, it just talks about um, whether you're on course or not. So I'm just going to read it to you because I can't remember it off by heart. Um, are you currently off course? How long have you been off course? How would you know if you are on the right course? Um, how can you minimise turbulence and other condi uh, conditions distracting your path? Despite turbulence and other conditions keeping airplanes off course, 90% of flight time, most flights arrive in the correct destination and at the intended time. For this reason, uh, the reason for this phenomenon is quite simple. Through air traffic control and the inertial guidance systems, pilots are constantly course correcting. When immediately addressed, these course corrections are not hard to manage. When these course corrections don't regularly happen, catastrophe can result. In 1979, a passenger jet with 257 people on board left New Zealand for a sightseeing flight to Antarctica and back. However, the pilots were unaware that someone had altered the flight coordinates by a measly two degrees putting them 28 miles east of where they assumed to be. Approaching Antarctica, the pilots descended to give the passengers a view of the brilliant landscapes. Sadly, the incorrect coordinates had placed them directly in the path of the active volcano, Mount Erebus. The snow on the volcano blended in with the clouds above, deceiving the pilots into thinking they were flying above flat ground. When the instrument sounded a warning of the quickly rising ground, it was too late. The plane crashed into the volcano, killing everyone on board. An error of only a few degrees brought about an enormous tragedy. Small things, if not corrected, become big things always. Now, I was thinking 
a bit about this. Sometimes we, uh, we just deviate slightly off a path, but before we know it, we're actually quite a long way away from the path. It's not anything big, it's just a little movement, but over time, that gap becomes bigger. Where in Matthew, um, the devil tempted Jesus, um, and he didn't say to him, look, just throw everything in, throw everything away, come and join me, we'll be best buds, and we'll go off and we'll just do everything together. He just actually asked God to compromise on a couple of little bits and pieces. Nothing huge, just tiny little bits. And Jesus just, of course, said no, <laughs> of course. But we can go off course by just compromising little bits, not realise that we actually have gone off course. So when you're doing a, a compass heading, if you've done anything in orienteering, if you get that first compass heading off, by the time you get to your first point, your second point, or your third point, you're way off where you should be and you don't realise you've done it because your grounding or the, the origin um, is so far away from where you are at the moment. Um, at the moment in our world, we have a world of radical individualism. Now that sounds really quite a big flash word, but basically it means that uh, we, are, we are growing up in a world where everything is tailored for our very needs, so we can actually uh, get what we need, uh, watch what we want, uh, participate in what we want instantly. Uh, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. The other thing is we are uh, actually caught up in rampant uh, consumerism. Now, not consumerism in terms of I'm going to go and buy lots of stuff from a shop. In consumerism in terms of we can actually watch digital content and do a whole lot of stuff really quickly online and we're getting used to doing it really, really quickly. And I kind of figure that that's slowly permeating um, our belief system and the way in which we work with each other, the way we see God and the way that God moves with us. Now, it might be a long bow to draw, but just bear with me for a tick. Um, when you play a computer game, um, I, don't, I get bored with computer games, so I'm, I'm not really good at them. Um, that's probably why I don't play them. Um, but if I was, I'd be brilliant. Um, so with computer games, when they design computer games, guess how long the design has to be for the game to work um, to get negative feedback? How often in a game, when you play it, do you get negative feedback? No one's going to call out. Good. It's seven seconds. So when they go to design a game, they need to give you negative feedback every seven seconds when you're playing a game for it to be successful. However, to get positive feedback, it's every 1.4 seconds. So when you're in that kind of environment, every 1.4 seconds, you're getting feedback all the time of where you're at and what you're doing. That permeates the way we think. It permeates the way we work and deal with other people. It permeates all our actions because we are getting conditioned to reacting like that all the time. Now, if you're of my age, you'll go, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't appear to me because I don't play games. Um, then uh, let me kind of throw these two at you. Oh, these three at you. YouTube, um, Instagram, and Netflix. Um, there'll be a whole bunch of people in this room that have never waited up on a Sunday night at 8.30 to see the latest movie on telly because they've never had to. I can jump onto Netflix. I can watch it whenever I want. If I want to stop, I can stop. If I want to watch 15 episodes in a row, I can when the Brady Bunch when the Brady Bunch was there, we had to wait the next week to see what happened to Greg when he was on the surfing competition in Hawaii when he had the thing around his neck. Now, nowadays you can just go to the next Netflix thing. We are being conditioned to be able to have what we want when we want and get it delivered to us at any stage. Now that's on any device. I can watch Netflix on my phone. I can watch it at home in bed. I can watch it on the telly. Um, it's quite amazing. So in terms of, um, uh, let's have a look, let's go back to here. Instagram, some stats for Instagram for you fun-loving people. Uh, Instagram has one billion active users per month. One billion, so 100 million photos are uploaded every day. 
and most people spend 53 minutes on day on average in Instagram. Now Instagram is one of those things where you just flick through it really quickly. So your brain's taking this stuff in, flicking, go, clicking, clicking, go next week, next week, next week, next week, next week. That's what we do. If we don't like it, we just keep on going. So our brains are being conditioned that if we don't like something, we can just move on and just ignore it. We can like it and put a little heart on it. But we are doing that 53 minutes on average per day. Now, if you don't use Instagram, that means someone else in this room is doing it for double that time to get that average. It's slightly scary. Um, YouTube, YouTube has 400 million... So 400 million minutes of video ad uploaded every day. It's enormous. It's enormous the stats that are going up into, into YouTube. YouTube is enormous. And the other thing with YouTube is that we can become um, experts in anything because we can watch it on YouTube. So just by participating in watching, we become experts in what we're doing. We don't actually be involved with what's going on. We just watch it and we become an instant expert. Now, I'm not, not, not dishing uh, YouTube because a lot of the stuff that I do um, in my work, we, we use YouTube for that heaps. Um, however, when we're using that as our guiding, guiding kind of force to actually inform us about what we should do and filling our, our knowledge up, we're just using the input from one place. We don't actually have to go through the hard yards to learn it. We can just watch it um, and then we move on to the next bit. Netflix is another beast. Um, Oh, sorry, in terms of um, Instagram, in 2016, 95 million posts are made every day in Instagram. There you go. Netflix has 118 million subscribers, which is five times the number of people that are actually in Australia. Um, Netflix users spend 100 million hours a day watching content. Um, it's estimated that Netflix allow customers to avoid nearly 160 hours of adverts per year. Um, and... The Netflix CFO, David Wells, said uh, when they're making their own uh, Netflix content, they are not opposed to spending $20 million per hour of original content. So these, these things that we're using for our entertainment, there's a lot of people that are pouring lots of effort and resources into them, um, and we are kind of getting absorbed into it. And if we don't like something, we just swipe it and we go on to something else. Um, and the other thing with it, it has us at the centre. So when you're watching stuff on Netflix, all the things that will come up and say, this is what's recommended for you, they are looking at what you're watching, they're making a judgment of what they are, and they're directing you a certain path. Now, we don't, we don't blink an eyelid, we just go, oh, we'll watch that, we'll watch that. Same with Instagram, Instagram does the same thing, they know what you like, that's where they push the adverts at you. Same with Facebook. So slowly we are being conditioned that we are the centre of everything, we can consume whatever we want, and we're becoming these radical individuals that are quite happy to exist just by ourselves on our device. Now, what I think is that is actually ruining a little bit um, about community. It's, ru it's ruining how we see the move of God. Because if that doesn't quite resonate with me, I'm not going to enter into it. I'll flick it to the side and I'll go do something else. Um, it gets rid of the awkward bits in life because if we don't want to see it, we don't need to watch it. Um, or we can watch it over and over again, like that poor old gymnast that broke both her knees when she did the wrong flip. Um, if you've seen that, that's a horrible thing. If you haven't seen that, please don't watch it. Um, and the thing is, we want growth without difficulties. We want to be able to flick through our life like a, a, a Netflix episode or a, an Instagram post and get to the end without any effort on our behalf. Um, and that metaphor of trying to get to something without actually earning it, either using YouTube or Instagram or something like that for our, our point of reference, is not what it says in the Bible when it talks about learning about God, being strong and developing your faith. 
it, it kind of likens um, those things to being in an army or being in a sport team where you actually practice and rehearse and get better at what you're doing. So I've got a bit of an analogy here. Many years ago, um, that wasn't the bike I had, uh, but many years ago um, I was trying to impress a young lady. So I thought what I'll do is I've got to go and learn, do some swing. So I, did, I was doing a swimming course at this time, which was pretty fun. Um, so I was learning, getting my Oswim badge. And then I thought, well, I'll ride down to her house after doing my off-swim swimming on my bike. I'll look really fit. I'll be fantastic. I'll jump off the bike, and she'll be impressed by my massive uh, physical ability, and it'll be terrific. Uh, she lived at the end of Anzac Highway, and if you've ever ridden, ridden down Anzac Highway in a really big headwind, it's actually quite hard, even though you're going downhill. Um, so I rode from McGill all the way down there, and just to let you know, I hadn't done a lot of riding before this time. So I was just, just to kind of preface it. So no training, um, no spending time learning about how to do it, just jumped on the bike and away I went. Um, so when I pulled into her house, by that time I, I worked all the way down Anzac Highway to get there, so I was pretty hot and sweaty. Um, and as I kind of pulled into her house, she came out to see me, I don't know how she knew I was coming, and I thought I'll be really cool and I'll jump off my bike and I'll impress her. So I jumped off my bike, but if you've ever ridden a bike for a really long period of time and you haven't ridden before, your legs do not support your own body weight. So as I jumped off, I just <laughs> fell in this cropply heap on the ground with both legs cramping up and I'm writhing around in pain on the ground. So wasn't the best uh, way forward. And sometimes I figure that um, in uh, one of the reasons behind why not now might be that we're not willing to put in those hard yards to learn more about God or d uh, get into the Bible or spend time with other people to learn more about what's going on or even be vulnerable and ask God to move in our hearts because we are so used to being out of control and, and flick through whatever we want, want to. Like that plane, being slightly off course, have we slowly become slightly off course and just haven't realised it? Have we slowly gone, oh my goodness, we're across here, but we don't realise we've actually moved away from where we should be? Um, and sometimes when people look at the Christian light, they look at scales. So they go like, like not the scales on a fish, but the scales of a, um, like a, Oh, you want to call it like um, a weighing scales. So depending on whether you've been uh, good or bad enough, then um, the scales might go in your favour or they might go the other way. So let's just have a look at this clip here. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to your first day in the afterlife. You were all, simply put, good people. But how do we know that you were good? How are we sure? During your time on Earth, every one of your actions had a positive or a negative value, depending on how much good or bad that action put into the universe. Every sandwich you ate, every time you bought a magazine, every single thing you did had an effect that rippled out over time and ultimately created some amount of good or bad. You know how some people pull into the breakdown lane when there's traffic and they think to themselves, ah, who cares, no one's watching. We were watching. Surprise! <laughs> anyway, when your time on Earth has ended, we calculate the total value of your life using our perfectly accurate measuring system. Only the people with the very highest scores, the true cream of the crop, get to come here, to the good place. What happens to everyone else, you ask? Don't worry about it. The point is, you are here because you lived one of the very best lives that could be lived. And you won't be alone. Your true soulmate is here too. That's right, soulmates are real. 
one of the other people in your neighborhood is your actual soulmate and you will spend eternity together so welcome to eternal happiness welcome to the good place sponsored by otters holding hands while they sleep you know the way you feel when you see a picture of two otters holding hands that's how you're going to feel every day so sometimes we get this view that um, it's all about uh, whether we do the right good stuff, enough of the good stuff, um, and then we'll just keep on moving and then the, the bad stuff will going to get taken care of itself. We can get the impression that uh, if we balance out the good and bad, um, then um, we'll all be tickety-boo. But when we turn to the Bible, it says that we've all kind of stuffed up and fallen short. So no matter where we've been, we've always kind of fallen short of where God, um, where we need to be with God. And no matter what we do, um, we can't uh, get ourselves better. If we, if we kind of try to drag ourselves out of that hole, it's just impossible. And that's where the grace of God comes in. So I figured that what I might do is try to, um, instead of using the three R's, um, try to come up with the, the R word um, to look at what things we could possibly put in place in terms of um, getting our spot back to that point of origin so that we are on the right course. So the first one was recalibrate. Do we need uh, a spiritual recalibration to reset ourselves and fan that fire? Do we need to come back to uh, the first love of God? There's a whole stack of songs uh, that uh, Keith Green sings about uh, refreshing me a clean heart. Um, there's a song written by Andy Hogarth that talks about um, hungry for a move of God and they're all saying bring us back to that first point where we met you and let's start this again. Let's recalibrate what we are doing from this, this point of origin. The second one is to be receptive, which is receptive to, be, um, to hear from God, but also to action what God is saying. So be really receptive and open and say, look, God, maybe um, I just need to listen to you more. Maybe you need to just poke me a bit more and encourage me to do something. Um, but help refresh me or help me be receptive so I can hear what you're saying. Rather than uh, relying on a Netflix video or flicking through Instagram, uh, can I learn to hear your voice better? Next one is refresh. And that kind of goes with, with the other one too, is that we just want that freshness to come back so that God will meet us where we are um, and really to blow those embers of his, his saving grace in our heart by his Holy Spirit and set us on fire again. So do we need that refreshing uh, breath of God to move in on us and take us to uh, the next bit? In the, uh, the books uh, that are, or the articles that I've been reading on revival, one of the big things about that happened in revival was repentance and coming back to where we were and turning from the things in our lives that we have just taken on as, oh, that's what we're about, that's how I always work. Um, it's just become so part of what, who I am that's just where I'm at. I don't need to repent. Um, but in the Bible, it's really, really quite clear about this whole bit about turning back um, and returning to your first love and returning to where God first met you or just introducing yourself to God to the, for the first time. So repentance is basically a mean to turn back. And there's a couple of really good verses in here. I want to read one from, it's from Psalm 139. Um, and it's from the message version. And it says, investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. 
get a clear, clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong and then guide me on the road to eternal life. So repentance is saying, Lord, just shine your light in me and show me what I need to turn from. Please forgive my sin and let's start walking together in a new direction. The next one is research. And I, I was actually going to say read the Bible, but that, that was three words. I needed one. Uh, so I came up with research. Research uh, for me means get lost in the word, learn more about God, ask other people about what this whole thing's about. Join a course or a small group that will actually allow you to question people and find out what's going on and actually look at where uh, God's moved beforehand and how you can be part of that new movement. How can you be part of something where God's doing something afresh and bring about change to a society that is just so lacking um, a hope and desperation? If you drove past um, any of those polling booths yesterday, the number of negative adverts up, nothing was positive. Nothing was positive and encouraging. It's all saying, oh, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad. Then be part of something where God's saying, you know what, I love you. I want to take you to somewhere else. Let's do this together, but you need to know more about me. So it's like that research or training, uh, training up. So get the, uh, the, the Bible app so you can actually watch it on YouTube if you want to. Sorry, that's a YouTube advert, sorry. Um, but it's a really good app to watch. Um, jump into some podcasts. There's some really good podcasts around where you can listen to people talking about God and learn about stuff and apply it to your lives. Even if you want to, jump on, just listen to the last few people who have spoken here at CU Sunday night. So it's people like Mike Potter and Craig Bailey, Graham Humphreys and Luke, uh, and Steph who spoke last time. Go and listen to those stories again and see how they apply to your life. Next one is, oops, I've got to go back one actually. The research bit um, is to enable you to be able to do, use the tools that you have a lot better. Um, the other week, or like last week, I had to get a tyre out of a car um, at night and it was dark and it was a different kind of way of getting a tyre out of the car. And so what I did was I fumbled around in the dark for a disproportionate amount of time until I could actually work out how to get it and it was quite clever in the end. In the end what you had to do is push a lever in and lift it and it dropped down underneath the car on a cable. It was fantastic. Um, but I had no idea how to do it and it made me exceedingly frustrated and annoyed. The next day when I went to kind of fix it all back up again, there was a picture on how to do it on top of the tyre. Now if I had read that, it would have been incredibly easy for me to carry out the task that I needed to do, but I didn't spend that time actually researching on how to do it. So the Bible is a great, uh, is the best passage or the best group of stories uh, inspired by God to show us how to operate in the world, how to hear God's voice clearly, and how to reset ourselves um, so that we can be part of uh, what God's doing. The last one is relationship. And that's not only um, relationship with, uh, with God, but it's also a relationship with each other. Um, are we building really good relationships that aren't dependent on a screen, but more dependent on being close to people? Are we building relationships that are lasting? Are we including people who are not in our little social group and um, we don't want to be with? Are we including people that we sarcastically in the background laugh at when they're not with us? Are we being honest when we're with people? Are we being two-faced? Now, Australia has a great sarcastic sense of humour, but when we're actually being sarcastic in terms of being nasty to someone else, then that's probably not a good place to be in. Uh, the person I work with, my boss, deliberately invites people to tea who don't fit in. So if he's at a conference, 
He'll find people that don't look like they're fitting in anywhere and he'll deliberately invite them to come to dinner with him um, and share a meal. And so when I said to him, I said, Mike, why do you do this? He said, well, you're never, sh- you're never sure what story they're going to tell you to let you into something that you've never thought about before. So he sees it as an opportunity to learn more about other people and more about himself. How many times have we had a party, done something, and we just haven't invited people because oh, they're a bit hard to hang with, so we won't invite them. I really think that um, the whole idea of relationship is really, really important. Um, and God wants us to be in relationship with him, but also wants us to be in relationship with others. When the disciples were sitting with him um, in Luke and chatting to him and saying, you know, what are the, all the things we need to pay attention to because there's all these commandments that we've got to follow, uh, Jesus summed them up really quickly. He said two things. He said, um, first commandment is really good. Love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul, which is pretty cool. And then he said the second thing you need to do is love others. So love God and love others. It's pretty two cool things. So why not now? So why not now? Why aren't we seeing these things now? Like that plane that was slightly off course, small things, if not corrected, become big things. That flight, the whole story I told you about that flight, is an analogy of our lives. Even seemingly inconsequential aspects of our lives can create ripples and ways of consequence for better or for worse. So I've got about four questions I want to ask you, which I want you to reflect on as we come to these last couple of songs of worship. Um, in terms of where you are sitting. So here, here's my question to you. How are you piloting your life? Who is the person at the centre that is directing you and guiding you in your life? Is it a Netflix world? Is it your own ambitions or your desires? Or is it that whole idea of just surrendering yourself to God and letting God uh, be the pilot and you be the co-pilot? What feedback are you receiving to correct your course? Who have you got around you that's going to make sure that you're on the right course? Who's directing you? Who's guiding you? Who are you listening to to direct that course? How often do you check your guidance system? How often do you check to make sure you're in the right spot? And Or have you even got a guidance system? Or are you just kind of wandering along, hoping to get to the right spot? Are you currently off course? And how would you know if you're on the right course? How can you minimise the turbulence and other conditions that are distracting your path? Do you need to recalibrate? Do you need to be receptive to hearing Lord? Do you need to refresh yourself to have a hungriness for a move of God? Do you need to repent and turn away from the things that you know you shouldn't be doing and ask God to leave you into a new freshness? Do you need to start to research? I could have used the word relevant, um, but that's probably another sermon. So are you researching it and are you building relationships with people that are lasting and sharing the goodness that we know that we have uh, with others or are we just quite easily sitting where we are and not wanting to be moved? Let's just pray as the band comes up. Father God, we ask uh, tonight that you blow on the embers in our hearts, that by your spirit you meet us, And by your spirit, you fan that fire. We desire, Lord, for a move of your spirit in this place and in our hearts. As we sing these next couple of songs, Lord, just just refresh us. Prod us and poke us if you need us to turn from things, confess things and move on. Keep us alert to your whisperings and your gentle... um, 
kind of refreshment and nudgings. And please move amongst us now as we come to the end of the service. We thank you so much, Father, that you are a God of grace and a God of forgiveness and a God of love who meets us where we are and takes our sin from us and says, come on, let's do this together. Let's work together with this. I'm here, I'm with you. I've sent my spirit to be with you that will give you the power and direction that you need. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your grace. Amen.